All right, guys. Well, as Pastor Adams already said, my name is Tyler Hagerman. I get the honor and the privilege to be able to speak with you all tonight. And in case you haven't noticed by the look of the stage, we are smack dab in the middle of quite possibly my favorite sermon series that I've ever got to be a part of. Because it incorporates the two most of my, my two most favorite things in the world. And not in this order, of course, just for emphasis. Star Wars and the Holy Spirit. My two most favorite subjects is what these two get to contain. And so if you can't tell, I'm a little bit excited. And so a little summary in case you haven't been here or haven't been here in a while, which, by the way, thank you for being here. If, if y'all could just look around and if you see anybody that you haven't seen in a while that you haven't ever met, please introduce yourself. Let's just take a couple minutes to do that. I am so glad you're here. You picked an awesome night to come. Awesome. Now, in case you're not aware what this sermon series is about, I'm going to do a little bit of a recap. What this sermon series is about, of course, is Holy Spirit, but we're diving in to better understanding the person, the power, and the purpose of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And last week, Pastor Adam talked about the person of the Holy Spirit, how he is part of what we call the Holy Trinity that is made up of three persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and that they live in this beautiful display of love and this beautiful display of mutual submission and community and unity in and of itself, that while they are three persons, they share the same mind, they share the same heart, they share the same will. And anyway, don't mean to go off on that tangent. Pastor Adam did a wonderful job preaching that last week, so I'm not going to try to step on that, or otherwise I would butcher it. This week... We get to talk about the sanctifying power of the Holy Spirit. And before we go any further, before I start laying some foundation to tell you what this is about, I want to first share with you all what I believe my assignment is for this message to give you all tonight. And if, uh, hey Caleb, could you turn my mic down just a little bit, get a little bit of feedback. Thank you, buddy. The assignment that I believe that I have to share with you all this word tonight is to give you all a balanced outlook of what, it of what it means to live a sanctified lifestyle. Okay, so here's the assignment, balanced outlook. I want to give you a balanced viewpoint. So first of all, what is sanctification? Well, it means to be set apart. It also means to be holy. Okay, so what we're going to be looking in tonight is a balanced outlook of how to live holy. Okay, but before we get into what it is, I want to first share with you what it isn't. There are two main arguments when talking about holiness. There are two sides to this coin. Number one, you have people over in this land. I'm going to call this legalism land, a.k.a. the South. <laughs> I'm, I'm kidding. Anyway, people over here in legalism land, they have a tendency to create man-made laws and try to protect God's grace. Normally what this looks like is, well, it's a sin if, if, you, if a man has long hair, he's going to go to hell. Or if you have tattoos, you're going to go to hell. And that's generally how people over here in legalism land generally believe. Over here you have this little group called lawlessness. And these are people that take scripture and they take it out of context. And they say that God's grace abounds so much that all you have to do is pray one time and you can live the rest of your life however you want to. The common, uh, 
theological belief here is once saved, always saved. The common belief here is that you can lose your salvation every day or that you can lose your salvation on a continual basis. Both of these things are wrong. Both of them are incorrect. And so I want to first, now that we have a, a basic understanding of what we're talking about tonight, I want to break this down a little bit, lay some good foundation. First of all, let's go back to the word sanctified, set apart, holy. Okay, let's break that down a little bit. What does holy mean? How many of you all think that holy means sinless or perfect? Okay, a few. I love you all, but you're wrong. Holy does not mean sinless. I want to give you, all right, I'm trying to think of how to arrange this best. Who is the most holy being to ever exist or ever will exist? Yes, God. Okay. So if you go to Revelation, it says that there are several cherubim and that there are you know, angels and elders surrounding the throne, and they're always saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Here's my question. If holy means sinless or perfect, how is that an eternal compliment to the eternal God? Because if... Okay, here's how that would look. If, if you believe that that is the case, they would go, Day five billion, he's still sinless! What kind of compliment is that? Please tell me. It's not one, because if God contained the very evil that he despises in his very nature, he wouldn't be God. So clearly that is not an eternal compliment to him. So perfect, sinless, is not what holy means. What they're really saying when they're encircling the throne of God is that they're saying, you're different. You're peculiar. You're unique. And so every time that the angels circle around the throne, every, with every revolution that they make, they cross his shoulder and then they get a glimpse at his eyes and they say, oh, that's different. I didn't see that in your eyes before. I didn't see that in your face before. So God is always the same because he's always the same yesterday, today, and forever. But he is constantly showing us different parts of his nature. So he is always the same, but he is always different. That's a paradox we get to let our minds blow out on for the next couple thousand years. Whew. All right. Now, at this point, we should have a fairly good idea of what holy means. It means different, peculiar, not sinless. So now we see what it looks like for God to be holy. What does it look like for us to be holy? I have a little bit of an illustration for you. In this bowl, I have fruit. Yeah, yeah. some of y'all who were in uh, middle school last year, you got to hear a little bit. You got to hear me do a very fruity sermon. I guess that's how that would sound. Throwing apples, yes, very good. Anyway, in this bowl, we have all kinds of fruit. They about fell out. All kinds of fruit. I have apples, oranges, pears, bananas, all good. All different sizes, all different colors, all different tastes, all different flavors. And just for the sake of argument, let's just say that they are all good fruit, just like people can say, well, I'm a good person. Okay, just for the sake of argument, sure, they're all good fruit, they're all good people, whatever. But in this analogy, let's imagine I'm God. So I feel like an apple. But the timing isn't quite right for me to eat it, because I got this mic attached to my face. Y'all don't want to hear me chew. So the timing isn't quite right, but I want to eat it. So I'm going to set it right there because I desire to eat it. I'm going to set it aside 
because I desire to consume it. Here's the thing. If the rest of these fruit are not positioned to be consumed, they will rot and they will decay in their filth of death. Because the moment that you take these from the vine, they begin the process of death. Just like the moment that we are born, we take our first breath toward death. So the apple has been positioned to be consumed. Here's the difference. We as people can position ourselves to surrender our lives to God. These fruit can't. So it's a, it's a fairly good illustration, but not the best, you know. You, but you all get the idea. At this point, we should have a fairly decent foundation to build on now. Before I continue, do we have any questions? I like interaction. If you have questions, I want to clarify them now. Praise God. <laughs> All right, now we're going to dive into a question that I had when I was studying this out. Okay, now that I know what it looks like to be sanctified, how do I get there? What makes us sanctified? What makes us holy? So let's dive into that. I have a couple scriptures that I want to break down into this. And so just bear with me because I'm going to not really try to speed through them. But yeah, I'm going to speed through them. First, let's go to John chapter 17, verses 13 through 19. And the next verse that we're going to go into is Acts 26, 18. But I'm going to tie these two verses together. Bear with me. Uh, but you, you'll see what I'm saying at the end of this. So here's the question. What makes, it, what makes us sanctified? What does it take to get to the point of sanctification or holiness. All right. John 17, 13 through 19. This is a little bit of context. I'm sorry. Keep on jumping around. A little bit of context. I love context. If I don't know where we are in the story, I get lost. At this point, they have just had the Last Supper, and Jesus has washed the, the feet of all the disciples. And Jesus, uh, Judas excuse me, has ran off to go betray Jesus and so Jesus has now taken the 11 disciples and has taken them to the edge of the Garden of Gethsemane. We, we're going to jump right into the middle of this fatherly prayer that Jesus is praying over his disciples, at least the remaining ones. We hop in on verse 13. But now I am coming to you, Father, and I say these things in the world that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not pray that you should take them out of the world, but you should keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I sent them into the world. For their sakes, I sanctify myself, that they also may be sanctified by the truth. All right, I know we're not in school, but we're going to have a little bit of a, a math problem. I know, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. It's real simple, really easy. Like one plus one type of, it's elementary, okay? Anyway, if you go back to verse 17, sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth, okay? So word equals truth. Simple? Okay, let's go to John. Um, you don't have to turn there. This is just me vamping a little bit. Uh, John chapter 1 a little bit, verse 1 through 5, and then verse 14. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was God. The Word was with God. He was in the beginning there with God. In Him everything was made, not anything that wasn't made. Anyway, it goes on to verse 14. And then the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Okay, so truth equals Word. Word equals Jesus. 
So based on that, the distributive property, got to love it, Jesus equals truth. Truth equals word. Word equals Jesus. Jesus equals truth. So in verse 17, what he's saying is sanctify them by your son. Your son is true. All right, now let's jump into Acts 26, 18. I just want to seal this in your brains. I don't want to just take one passage of Scripture to prove a point. I like taking several. So let's go to Acts 26, 18. And again, context. This is Saul on his road to Damascus. Jesus has already been crucified, resurrected, ascended, and now he is showing himself to Saul that is on his way to go kill Christians. And we just hop right into the middle of his conversation. He's telling Saul his assignment. God bless you. I'm sending you to open their eyes and turn them from darkness to light, from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and an inheritance among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Read the last part. Who are sanctified by faith in me. I want you to, to understand what I'm trying to say between these two Uh, these two verses, and it answers this question. What does it take? How do I become holy? Okay, we are sanctified. We are made holy by our faith in and salvation through Jesus, period. That's what makes you holy. The very moment of salvation, he calls you holy. That very moment of salvation, he says, yes, you are my son, you are my daughter. You are worthy to be called holy. You are different because I set you apart for me to consume. That very instant of salvation, he calls us holy. But you have to remember, in Romans 4, 17, he calls the things that are not as though they were. So even though that we know that we don't deserve to be called holy, even though that we know we don't deserve to be called sanctified, to be called son, to be called daughter, in his eyes, we are. Even though we know that we don't deserve it, he says, I know you don't, but it's not up to you. I did the work. That very moment of salvation, you are instantaneously sanctified. You are instantaneously made holy. He calls the spirit that is in you holy at that very moment. But here's the thing. How many of you all know that we are made in the image of God? Okay? Okay. And he is a triune being. He's made of the Trinity. So you have the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Now, because we are made in his image, we also are a triune being. We are made up of body, soul, and spirit. That moment of salvation, he makes our spirit holy. That moment of salvation, he calls our spirit sanctified. However, our soul has to go through a process. Our soul has to go through this process of rebirth. It has to go through this process of what's called metanoia or the metamorphosis, the changing. The popular term for this is born again. So let's look into what that actually looks like. What does it take to be born again? That's a very legitimate question. Now, uh, turn in your Bibles to John 3, 5 through 6. 
Take a sip of here while you're fumbling through your phones or whatever. Ooh, yeah, five through six. Awesome. Now, again, I want to give you context. At this point, it is a few couple weeks before the crucifixion. And a Pharisee sneaks off from the rest of them at about 2 o'clock in the morning to have this conversation with Jesus. His name is Nicodemus. And so they start having this beautiful conversation of what it looks like to actually walk in the kingdom. What it looks like to act as if you are from the kingdom. And Jesus makes this statement. If you want to enter the kingdom of God, you must be born again. Nicodemus' mind is blown by that statement. How can a man be born again? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb? And then Jesus turns around, verse 5 and 6, and answers that question. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a man be born of both water and the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. What Jesus is talking about is a two-step, not a one-step process to being born again. It's be baptized of both water and the Spirit. The water part is what he's talking about when it's the water baptism. That's John the Baptist's baptism. So it's the baptism of repentance. So it's that very moment of salvation, that moment of repentance. So salvation is process number one. The step one, two-step process in being born again. Step one, salvation. Step two, baptism of the Holy Spirit, which John talked about saying, there comes one after me who baptizes in fire and of the spirit of holiness. And you need to remember something. This baptism is not into some vague fire. This baptism is a person. I need you to hear. I'm going to give you all a, a little example of what this might look like. Okay. Hey, buddy. How you doing? Okay. So moment of salvation, that's process number one. That's already happened, okay? Now we're going into spirit baptism. So, hand. Thank you. Being baptized in the Holy Spirit. Are you sure? Yep. Kind of nervous here. It's cool. Now, once you are baptized in the Holy Spirit, you are literally dunked into the person of God. You are drenched in the person of Holy Spirit. And when you come up, you're not covered in fire. You're covered in a person. You're not covered in some vague power. You're covered in a person. Thank you, buddy. Give him a hand. You have to remember, a baptism in the Holy Ghost is not just power. You're baptized into the very person, the very character, the very heart of God. And I want to give you all one more illustration, then I'm going to try to wrap this up a little bit. It's going to coincide with what me and Dinger just did, but I'm going to present it in a different way. I want you, I'm getting ahead of myself, sorry. Many times in scripture, the Holy Spirit is symbolized as a dove. And in the case of Jesus' baptism, the dove descended and remained on Jesus. So I want you to imagine for just a moment that there is a dove resting on my shoulder. 
Notice how I'm walking. I'm keeping everything around me in mind. I don't want to trip over this, these cords. I'm going to step over them. I'm very mindful about my surroundings. I'm very mindful because I don't want to scare the dove off. I want the dove to remain. In the case of Holy Spirit, that's also the words that we speak. That's also the thoughts that we think. Well, Tyler, are you, are you really saying that I can control every thought that pops into my mind? I mean, I just have some really random thoughts that just jump in there once in a while. I want to share with you all a, a, a little statement that a very wise woman once told me. You can't stop a bird from flying over your head, but you can prevent it from building a nest in your hair. You can't always stop the, the random thoughts from just entering into your mind, but you can shoo it away and refocus. You can take your thoughts captive. It's possible. But I want to go one step further. Dove's on my shoulder, but the dove's also a bird. I want the dove to build a nest in my hair because I want it to build a residence that it can remain on. I don't want just the dove to rest on me every once in a while. I want it to remain on me. But there's something about the dove you must understand. The dove in its body does not contain a gallbladder. What does this mean? It means that a dove cannot live in a place that has impurities. It can't process impurities. That means wherever it, the dove lives, it has to live in a clean place. It has to live in a pure place. So in order for the dove to remain in the nest that it has built in your hair, that has to be a clean place. Otherwise, it can't rest there. It can't remain there. In this next part that we're about to get into, it's going to seem a lot more harsh than what I've been. But I say this in love, and I say this because I love you. I keep that in mind as we go there. We're not there yet, but we're getting close. At this point, we are approaching three weeks since fall retreat. Since that wonderful outpouring of God's Spirit. But I have a question for y'all. Have you allowed the dove to remain on you since that night? Or have you treated Holy Spirit like this some vague power that you get over here and you go to church once or twice a week, that way you can get the goosebumps and you can talk in tongues? Have you treated it like a, a vague power that you just, it's a casual passerby? Or have you treated Holy Spirit like a person that you live in intimacy with? There's one more word I want to teach you all tonight. And it, it, it stems off of sanctification. But this word is called consecration. And when you look back in the Old Testament where it's actually used a lot, They've always said, consecrate yourself 
to a fast. Consecrate yourself in prayer. Consecrate yourself for battle. See, consecration is us setting ourselves apart. Jesus sanctified us. But in the Old Testament, we consecrated ourselves. In New Testament, we have the help of Holy Spirit. And his job, really the title of this, should be consecration power of the Holy Spirit. Because his job is to consecrate us. Once he is remaining on a place, you may get this voice every once in a while that says, Oh, I should have handled that conversation better. They didn't walk away from me feeling loved. Or, oh, I lied again. And it's listening to that, that voice of Holy Spirit trying to tell you what it needs in order for that environment to be pure. And if you listen to this voice and you obey what this voice tells you, you will live in the place of consecration. Because here's the thing, and I've spent a lot of time building up to this one point. If this is the only thing you remember from this sermon, this is what I want you to remember. And if you have your phone, if you, you like taking notes, take notes on this one. You ready? Consecration is a consequence of intimacy. In order for you to live in a place called consecrated, in order for you to live in that balanced perspective of what it looks like to live holy, then you must live in a place of intimacy with Holy Spirit because consecration is a consequence. It's the fruit of intimacy. And again, I'm going to go back to that question because this is, this is where we're going to end tonight. Have you lived in that place of intimacy, of remaining in intimacy with the person of Holy Spirit? Or have you simply approached Holy Spirit like this void, well, not like this vague power that you go over here and access whenever you want to get your praise on? Have you accessed this power whenever you want to get the goosebumps or whenever you want to talk in tongues? Have you approached this casually or have you remained in a relationship that requires some action by you? Have you remained in a relationship where you don't always feel the presence of God? You don't always feel like you want to go pray. You don't always feel like you want to do this because it doesn't always feel good. It's a relationship. It requires work. Or have you treated Holy Spirit like this power? Accessing it whenever you want your own spiritual lust satisfied. Or have you remained in a covenant? A covenant of a helper, a covenant of a helpmate. Have you treated Holy Spirit like your partner, like your spouse? Or have you treated Holy Spirit like a prostitute?
if that is true, I want to give you all an opportunity. An opportunity to, number one, repent. To Holy Spirit. For your, for your taking advantage of him. Number two, if you have been doing that, and you want to engage Holy Spirit in a covenant relationship, we'll give you an opportunity to, after some of you have repented, give you an opportunity to once again be filled. Give you opportunity once again for the Holy Spirit to rest on you and to give you an opportunity to allow him to remain. with every head bowed and every eyes closed. If you are under the sound of my voice and you know that you have only accessed Holy Spirit when it's convenient to you and you have only accessed him whenever you want to get that feeling, then I want you to lift your hand up in the air. Thank you, yes. Yes, 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 yes. I see you. Yes, yes. Keep them up. Keep them up. There's no shame in this. I was guilty of it too. If that is you, and you want an opportunity to repent, then I'm going to ask you to do something right now. I'm going to ask you to stand and come down here in the altar repent. If you can't do that in here, this is the safe place. How are you going to live as a witness and bring revival to the nations out there? Three, two, one, stand. If you raised your hands, stand. If you know you should have raised your hands, stand and come down here. Right now, I want you to turn and ask your neighbor, should you go up? Do you need to go up? I'll go with you. Ask your neighbor, do you need? Jesus. 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 Secondly, good, thank you. Yes, praise God. There's no shame here. None. No guilt, no condemnation. Number two, if you want Jesus to call you sanctified, if you want him to save you from your sin, to save you from your rotten decay of death, I want you to raise up your hand. If that is you, come on up. If that's you, come on up. Father God, I thank you, Lord Jesus. 
appreciate that it ever hit you on the I thank you, Lord Jesus, for the opportunity that we have to repent. And Lord, I don't say this because I'm timid. I say this because I know you're a gentleman. I ask that you would fill them with your spirit without me even having to touch them. I ask that you would pour out your spirit in them right now, afresh and anew that you would rest on them and that you would remain on them. flows from the head down. And so as they come around and pray for you, you will be filled. 